0: That's a, a, a journey the family takes together. So I'm not a regular listener to K-Love. Is there any K-Love fans here? You listen to K-Love? Is there? It's okay to admit that here. It's not, this is a safe place. I just, I, there's no particular reason why I don't listen to it. I just listen to other things. But I was listening to it a few weeks back. It actually came over the, uh, the radio in our car, and uh, it was tuned into that. And so I was listening to that. And, and sure enough, a gentleman came on uh, during the broadcast uh, with a little devotional uh, that was drawing right from Philippians. Can you believe it? Well, of course, my ear was perked up to that. Yeah, yeah this Philippians. We're doing that. We're studying that. Um, I wonder what they're going to say. And then they drew on our text for this morning. It's like, well, this, this is working out. They started talking about citizenship uh, in heaven. Now, you don't have to worry. I didn't steal the devotional for the sermon this morning uh, from Caleb. But the presenter went on to report that because of the citizenship that we have in heaven, Uh, because of that, this world is not our home, right? So because of that citizenship, this world is not our home, that one day we will take up residence in that celestial place. And I think if you were to ask most folks about uh, the aspirations or the hope of the Christian life, uh, they might say something very similar, uh, that one day uh, we're going to be in heaven and living with God forever. um, And so uh, we're looking forward to that. And as we get older, uh, as the body starts to fail, we might look even more forward to that time uh, in heaven and say, hey, you know what, I'm done here, my work is done here, and it's now time to get get it going. Of course, that idea is popular not only amongst folks who would be any level of of Christian affiliation, but also in culture. Uh, There's songs that are recorded that people have enjoyed here in American culture over the years. Uh, A few names here, Woody Guthrie, Jim Reeves, the Statler Brothers, the group Lone Justice, Ricky Skaggs, the Gaither Homecoming Choir, Merle Haggart, the soundtrack to the video game Kentucky Route Zero, (laughs) and a whole host of special musical offerings, if you search through YouTube, at churches across this country, have all performed or posted this song, uh, have recorded this, This World Is Not My Home. And maybe you've heard this one this world is not my home I'm just a passing through you heard that one before my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue the angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore and that song has been recorded by so many many people it's quite the sentiment it's quite a catchy song I listened to about seven different versions of it this last week Um, but is that what Paul imagines here in Philippians is that what he's getting at at this point when he talks about our citizenship in heaven? Amidst his own imprisonment and the persecution that he and others in that earliest church, particularly in the Philippians church here, are facing, is the posture of the Christian life, is it supposed to be one of just a passing through? Is that our posture? It all doesn't sound uh, consistent. It doesn't read consistent with a writer who has to this point made the point, not only sharing about his hope, to see these Philippians once more, right? He's already talked about that. Uh, and of course, it helps to be alive to do that. Um, but also emphasizing the example of Jesus and sharing what that example looks like uh, for having what uh, some have called the messianic mind or the mind of Jesus as a way for how Jesus' followers are to conduct themselves in the community and in life. In a large part of chapter two, of course, in Philippians is dedicated to this. So if that's the case, If it's not just about passing through and heading off to heaven, ASAP, what then is our text pointing to? What then is this text trying to say? What is Paul trying to say to this audience? Well, there's an interval of sorts that exists. Without any kind of context, one might assume that verse 12 Uh, the goal here is some kind of heavenly reward. So if you have any context, if you're just reading that verse by itself, you might think, oh, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about that classic narrative that we're going to go to heaven, that we're just passing through here. And once you have that in mind, it's easy to read the rest of the verses in that light and to see them that they're just talking about some sort of afterlife experience, especially in verse 14 when we see heavenly call. You might say that these are all pointing to that same thing. But again, it seems rather peculiar that a writer who has already indicated in chapter 1 his intention to keep on living and to keep on serving in this life, and then in chapter 4, to invite the audience to take stock of their own life in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, uh, it seems peculiar that this one would quickly then move here in chapter 3 to now say, well, I forget all about that stuff. We're just going to go to the afterlife now and jump to that. Why, why, would, why would that be the case? Well, perhaps he doesn't, and perhaps he isn't talking about that afterlife experience. What he may, in fact, be talking about is what he has been talking about all along: life now, life here, life in the community, this community, today. That time that exists between your baptism and your funeral. That that may be what he has in mind here. That what is to be lived, and there's that interval. It's a N.T. Wright actually uses the term here, calls it the strange interval that exists. Uh, That part of our life, we talk about our life of discipleship. If discipleship begins with baptism and you move through the course of your life and then it's completed in your death and then looking forward to that future resurrection, what is done in that space and what does life look like? It's clear right from the outset that Paul has this period in verse 12 in mind, particularly when he says, not that I have already, and he uses that twice in the text. At this point in his ministry, he isn't at the place that he finds himself in 2 Timothy 4-7, a book that's written near the end of his life, where he's talking about finishing the race. At this point, he's talking about very much being in that race, and he uses references and metaphors here. So with that in mind, what's the goal here? As one could imagine, there's a number of conclusions that commentators have arrived at in regards to the goal here in this text. But one that has very strong evidence for us, as we look uh, closely at the construction here and, and what the context looks like, is the notion that for Paul the goal here is not going to heaven, like I've said, but rather fully grasping the meaning of Christ. That that's the goal he's shooting for. This person wants to know Christ, the meaning of Christ, and the strong evidence here draws on such things as the range of the meaning of the words themselves that are used here. And, of course, there's also, if you, again, we do this week in and week out, if you want to geek out on Greek a little bit, you'll notice as you read in the Greek, there's a missing object to the transitive verb. Like I said, you had to geek out on a little bit. There's a missing object, and the context and their connections suggest that that missing object is Christ, because it shows up later on with some of the verbs that are used later in that same verse. But maybe we don't need to geek out as much. Maybe we could just go back two verses into verse 10 and read Paul's own words. I want to know Christ. (laughs) And he goes on to talk, elaborate on that. When Paul imagines the Christian life, his life, the key aim that he has in mind, and something no matter how keen his mind and sophisticated his understanding of matters of the faith, by his own admission, he hasn't arrived at it yet. He's still working on it. That this key aim, this goal to know Christ, is a lifelong pursuit for Him. I'm reminded of an old motivational poster that hung in our break room at McDonald's. I'm not sure why I'm reminded of that, but I was reminded of it as I was reading this. Success is a journey, not a destination. Of course, I was thinking that many times I must be on the wrong journey. (laughs) But unlike the poster, to know Christ, is in both the destination and the journey and paul makes that clear with his own life and because the enormity of the figure to be known we go back to the nicene creed very god of very god think about the enormity of this figure to know this christ to know this jesus it's so big that uh, commentators gerald hawthorne and ralph martin will observe that it demands a lifetime of arduous inquiry you don't get there in a moment It doesn't come to you fully in an instant. And Paul is well aware of this. He's making that point for his audience. So he looks back to his own uh, conversion, that idea that Christ's laying hold of him. That's his conversion, that Christ has has grabbed him, grabbed hold of him, up through the present and toward this coming future. And as he looks at it, he acknowledges that he has not yet laid hold of it, which is again his knowing Christ in verse 13. And that's what the it is there. To know Christ. Have I made that point clear? Is the knowing Christ, have we saturated that one enough? That's the aim of the Christian life. That's the goal we're shooting for. And to see that our lives are transformed in that process as we know Christ more and more. There's a key word here that we see. He talks about forgetting. This idea of forgetting uh, isn't this absent mindedness or somehow he just couldn't remember. But it's the opposite of remembering and remembering is this key word that we see throughout scripture where one draws on the past experience and it gives life in the present so i look back at the grand acts of god in the past and there's a power to them where they shape my present realities if god acted then i know that god can act now if god was present to the people in the past and made promises to be present in the future i know that god is present with me now and God will be present with me forever. So that's that grabbing hold, that memory, that remembering uh, these things. Well, forgetting is the opposite of that, the complete opposite. And so for Paul, he looks back at his own past, and you think about the context from last week's text to this week's text. There's a group saying, we've got to become, anybody converting to the faith has to adopt these Torah practices. And Paul's saying, remember all that stuff from the past. I've forgotten it. I've forgotten it. Because he knows that there's not a power in it for the present that he lives in right now. But rather instead, he's straining. And that, course, imagery comes to us from athletics. And we see it even in our own day. If you watch track and field, and you see a race that's super close. And the people at the last line, as they go to break the ribbon, they're straining forward. But straining is in the entire race. It's this pushing forward and forward momentum that's happening. For Paul, in the Christian life, there is no complacency which cuts the nerve of progress or stifles the hope of final perfection, and no sinful contentment with his own present position. That's how Ralph Martin summarizes it. Paul's going for it. He's completely focused. That's how Jimmy summarizes it. That's that straining forward. And that focus aim that he has in verse forty or 14 on this heavenly, and that word heavenly can be translated upward, this, this upward call. And you think about from the race uh, metaphor that's used there in the ancient world, if you, if you strain forward to win the race, then you'd be called up to the VIP box to receive your reward. And that's what Paul wants. He wants to hear his name, to be heard as his faithful servant. And like the athlete who's called to receive that prize at the completion of the race, the prize here is not spelled out. Paul doesn't say exactly what that prize is because he's been saying it all along the prize is christ himself the prize here is that reward that reward of knowing christ i grew up in a a community a christian community in a church where it was popular to talk about your mansion in heaven and there was a lot of emphasis on those streets of gold and those pearl gates as though these things these symbols of wealth and stuff were what the goal was that was in mind, that that was the aim. Uh, And it spoke well to you if you were in a place where you didn't experience that in this life, right? If you're in a poverty place to hear of these grand feasts and these grand homes and and all these different uh, things that you could have, uh, that spoke well to your heart and said, yes, finally a reward. But Paul reminds us of a different kind of reward, a better kind of reward. And that's the very transformation of our persons of our lives to allow us to be a people that we cannot be on our own that requires God's grace God's mercy God's action and not only does it require that God gives that freely to us as a gift a wonderful gift so what we do know for sure here is that what's going on here isn't about merit that what's being offered in this goal and these aims It's not something that we earn because we've done something great, but rather it's God's call, and Paul recognizes that throughout here, that enables us. It's God's grace that empowers us to persevere in this race, both working to make uh, completion of the race even possible. For our part, we, as we hear in 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2, or chapter 1, we're to be worthy of this calling. That we're to live lives that are worthy of that calling. And in Hebrews 12, that we're to look to Jesus, this author and perfecter of our faith. That's how we live in this present interval. And if we imagine that we've already arrived, um, if we think that uh, this is, we're all set and good to go, we're going to miss Paul's words here about this journey and this destination. That trusting God is part of the journey, but there's a payoff now and in the future. But how do we get there? How do we get to that place? Do we just like a wind-up toy? Is there a little crank on our backs that we just turn that little wind-up toy and we're set loose? God winds us up and says, go rattle off over there and see what happens. Now, Paul talks about this idea of imitation. Who are you imitating? I've shared previously about my foray into the world of college soccer. I got the idea that with virtually no experience I would walk on to my college's soccer team and so I I tried out uh, and I remember at one point and I've said before that I was the worst player on a not very good soccer team Um, so that gives you an idea of my skill set but I remember the first day of tryouts we're gonna run a cross-country mile that was the first thing stretch and now run a cross-country mile we're gonna time you if you get a certain time then you can stay (laughs) if you don't you're out And I'm not very good with navigation. Uh, You can ask my wife about this. There are moments where I actually miss my house driving home. So, and this has happened a few times. (laughs) Just kept driving. In fact, I missed my doctor's office this last week because I just kept driving. Then I realized when I was in Fife that I was supposed to be in Federal Way. So that was, (laughs) wasn't the first time I'd been to that doctor either. So I didn't know what was going on. But this uh, this navigation type type thing is you know it's always been a challenge. I remember getting ready for this uh, cross country uh, mile that we're supposed to run, and I'm thinking I don't really. They just told us where we're going. I have no idea where we're going, and so I thought I'll just kind of follow the pack, right? So just kind of stay near the back of the pack because they look like they know what they're doing. They could have gone anywhere. I would have gone with them, and so I kind of hung back in that pack and just went along. The good th- the good news there is that I actually ran faster because I had to stay with the pack, so I didn't get lost. Um, but this idea of imitating, it doesn't also have to be because of deficiencies, but oftentimes it helps us because of those deficiencies. In verse 17, Paul sets himself forward as such an example. He says, uh, follow my example. Follow, follow my lead here. And I know that's a tough thing for us in our own culture, particularly in our own Christian church culture. Uh, we don't like to have the spotlight on us as though we're the example to be followed. It uh, might feel like yeah, that's, that's a little bit of proud hubris kind of thing. Uh, it's certainly not what humility looks like. But to recognize that Paul's example that he's setting for them is saying in all authenticity and honesty, my goal is to follow after Christ. So if I'm setting for the goal and the aim, follow me in that example. Follow me in what I'm doing. It's not going to be perfect. Paul's not a perfect person. None of us are perfect people. But if we set our goal and aim on a particular target, Follow us towards that target. Of course, we know that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. But here in our text, uh, we quickly see that imitation becomes a form of faithfulness. It's a form of living the faithful Christian life. And it has two advantages for sure amongst many. One, it stands in stark contrast to, the, to those who are on the journey described in verses 18 and 19. Those who are described as enemies of the cross. And two, it stands in stark contrast to their destination, whose end is self-fed destruction. And so this imitation has uh, these advantages uh, for us to live this way together as a community, as we all move together looking at the examples of our elders in this community as well as those who've gone before. But instead of pursuing the route of those that are contrasted, Paul calls his readers here... uh, to see themselves as citizens in heaven or their citizenship is in heaven. And that might seem like, to go back to the k devotional, that might seem like the surest way to say, no, no, we are talking about the afterlife here. We're talking about future promises. Until we recognize that this word here that's translated heaven, you'll see a footnote if you look at the NRSVUE, uh, where it says another version here of this word is commonwealth. Certainly the word within the word group can speak of colony as well remember back to earlier in the series when we talked about this church at Philippi who they are they're a Roman colony they're not in Rome but yet they dress like Romans they speak like Romans their architecture looks like Rome their structure of government and their cultural practices are all Roman when in Philippi do as the Romans do right so they are doing everything Roman and so this picture for them Of being citizens of the heavenly colony is an apt picture that paul will use for them for them to recognize that just as in their own secular life that they are living the way that one would live for a city that is not the one they live in but a distant city that they're representing rome here as an outpost that they do the same as those heavenly citizens that although they're not living in the heavenly city they represent the character and the values of the kingdom their kingdom people there in their context I think that says a lot to to us here today of how we might live as citizens not looking for the world that we're passing through on our way to our actual city and home but rather to see our lives as reflecting a citizenship the character of heaven the God characteristics of mercy and generosity of love and faithfulness and for us to exhibit those in whatever context we find ourselves in, whether it's here in the Heinlein area, or perhaps we might move one day to another space, or just traveling different places, wherever we go, that we exhibit as those kingdom people. And that's what it looks like for us to be these kind of people. 160 years ago uh, this month, actually uh, it would be 160 years ago plus one week, uh, a sermon was preached by Charles Spurgeon, Uh, that Prince of Preachers uh, as they referred to him Uh, but he says this about our text which he preached 160 years ago plus one week we're under heaven's government Christ the King of heaven reigns in our hearts the laws of glory are the laws of our consciences our daily prayer is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven the proclamations issued from the throne of glory are freely received by us the decrees of the great King we cheerfully obey We are not without law to Christ. The spirit of God rules in our mortal bodies. Grace reigns through righteousness. And we wear the easy yoke of Jesus. 160 years ago, to live as a heavenly citizen in your particular context. That's what it looks like. In conclusion here this morning, I have two conclusions actually. One is Paul's own conclusion. What do you do with all that when you hear this type of charge and this type of call well first paul's conclusion would be this stand firm (laughs) stay the course take what you've learned take what you've heard keep that in your life take the conversion that you've experienced in christ jesus the transformation and renewal that you're experiencing day after day after day and lay hold of that make that the focus of your view put that in your eyesight. The second conclusion here would be one that would draw us from the words that have been accredited to Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. who said, they're so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. Maybe you've heard that one. Maybe you heard it from Johnny Cash, his song No Earthly Good. Of course, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity will write that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. Lewis goes on to say, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. But indeed, there is a place where we might become too heavenly minded, that we're no earthly good. And I would imagine here for us that if we find ourselves in that place, that it's not because of Christian virtue or because we're seeking after Jesus Christ to know Christ, that it might be more related to some form of escapism for us. That the pains and struggles of the world have become too painful and too much of a struggle. And so we look to escape those. That's a human reaction. It's a very human reaction. It's a fear mechanism for us. But for us to lay hold to the claim that Paul makes to the Philippians and also makes to us today, for us to be citizens of heaven here and now, for us not to miss, because we're so heavenly minded, God's good instruction to us today, for us not to fail to know Jesus Christ. And in knowing Christ, that way you might follow that great example of humility, generosity, grace, and love. Maybe so for our lives today and every day. Amen. Friends, let us pray together.